This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. This is the part two of the double header inshallah ta'ala uh, just 21 and a reminder to everyone inshallah ta'ala to please tune in uh, tomorrow for the webathon bidnanahi ta'ala uh, where we definitely will be looking forward to all of the different insights as to how to go into the last 10 days strong with the ta'ala as well as sustain a prophetic lifestyle beyond that inshallah ta'ala and of course um, hoping that inshallah ta'ala we can count on all of you to continue to support the work here at Yaqeen. Uh, we appreciate everything that has come forth and all of your du'as and your support and your comments about how this has affected you and we pray that inshallah ta'ala you see yourself in it and uh, you continue to support it bidnana. With that being said we are joined by a special guest tonight inshallah Dr. Uthman Omarji. Uh, he is the Director of uh, Survey Research Evaluation. Did I get that right? Get the name of the department right? All right, alhamdulillah, but I mean, so he's our data guy. So uh, alhamdulillah, you know, everything we do is being driven, or hopefully at some point, inshallah, we hope to drive it through, you know, what we're learning about how to really instill conviction in people and to really nurture that, that, that yaqeen within people. And Dr. Uthman is in charge of that. So um, if we succeed, alhamdulillah, if we fail, we just blame him. Um, but inshallah, we, we, we pray that we don't fail. Oh, he got it. You got, oh man, he took a face palm. Okay. <laughs> so Sheikh Rasman, you do our data stuff. I got a question for you. According to your data, who can lift more, me or Sheikh Abdullah? Ooh, subhanAllah. You know, Sheikh, there's some things in life that you don't need data. You just need a little common sense. So this is, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't need to do any uh, studies to answer that question. Oh, that's so, what I love you about take you. That, man? You're gonna take that from him. You just see uh, that? No, that's what I love about him. He's so straight up, <laughs> mashallah. Right, Sheikh, Sheikh, I've been meaning to ask you actually. I have a question for you before we start because I haven't, you know, seen you in a long time. We're distant. How are your ankles doing, by the way? Oh, Ooh. oh, Ooh. okay. You asking me or him? No, no, oh. Sheikh Omar. I just want to make sure. Because, you know, last time we met, me. you know, unfortunately, you know, when he's on the court with me. There was a, I think I heard a crack in his ankles on a crossover. Ooh. So, inshallah, you've oh, been yeah. doing well. But, yeah, uh, I thought you were yeah. talking about with you or when he played my son. I don't know which one when he. <laughs> it, it probably happened both times. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a game of one on one in store, inshallah, Ty, because COVID has you hallucinating, Dr. Saab. Oh. fired, <laughs> man. It's okay. All right. Bismillah. We'll, we'll get back on the court, inshallah, Ty, the next time. I've been practicing. I've been working. I've been, I've been playing ball, alhamdulillah. So, we're ready to. I got. I've gotten back in the in, into my ball uh, routine. Uh, now that now that you know we're we're kind of in inshallah tie the end of of COVID bidinda. <laughs> but waiting. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait till you get back inshallah. Now now that you said that, we're gonna have to record uh, that game of one on one. So, um, but we're not right. recording the weightlifting competition with me and Sheikh Abdullah. It's just not <laughs> happening. That's just gonna stay in the imagination of people. It'll be like rocking Apollo. If anyone even knows the reference that 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 fight that never was on tape, uh, that's that'll how that's how me and Sheikh Abdullah will be on the benches. We're just <laughs> oh man, <laughs> inshallah, there's no secret cameras around, you know, because I wouldn't want that for Sheikh Abdullah. That's all of it. Of course, of course, not for your we brother. We don't want that. We don't want that, Sheikh. <laughs> all right, alhamdulillah. We're, we're blessed to now be in just 21, inshallah ta'ala. So let's get started, inshallah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu salamu ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So alhamdulillah, 
Surah Rum, Luqman, Sajda, and Al-Ahzab. The beginning of Al-Ahzab uh, shows up here. So you have three Meccan surahs. Uh, and if you think about what Dr. Uwaymer said earlier about arranging the furniture, uh, subhanAllah, very profound example um, that comes through these three back-to-back -back, uh, surahs uh, that are in Mecca and then goes to a uh, Madani surah, but particularly um, a hopeful Madani surah, right, where we see uh, the, the victory from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed be realized. So really a beautiful tartib, a beautiful arrangement of the surahs here as all of the surahs are arranged uh, in a profound manner. Surah Rum, you know, is, uh, of course, the famous incident where uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that uh, the Romans have been defeated, uh, but that they are going to come back and 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 win. Allah mentions that between three and nine years, the Romans who were being defeated handedly by the Persians over and over and over again, the Bushra, the glad tidings that they would win. Now, why was that important to the Muslims? Obviously, because um, the idea of monotheists in some sense versus polytheists being the Persians uh, in a way that related to the Meccans and, and, and the actual alliance that was between the Meccans and the Persian Empire as well. And this was, of course, a double meaning. Now, the proof of prophethood is there because as some of the scholars mentioned that this was no less of a significant miracle in the sense of the probability of it taking place in the eyes of the people of Mecca as the Salat al Mi'raj. There was no way to them that the Romans were going to defeat the Persians, especially at the time the surah was revealed. But of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed for that to happen. And the double meaning of it was that it was a blessed sign of Badr and what precedes Badr of the Hijrah. So I want to actually build on what we spoke about last time uh, with Surah Al-Ankabut and the disbelievers speaking to the believers and telling them, don't go forth with this Hijrah, don't make this migration, stay with us, renounce your faith, uh, we will support you. Otherwise, you go forth, you're going to live a humiliated life, uh, you're going to live a difficult life, um, and you know it will all be in vain. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing that even in the most improbable circumstances, Allah gives victory to whom he wills. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala supports whom he wills. And so here we are uh, in Surah Al-Rum where Allah Azza mentions this victory. And when this victory would take place, it was exactly the same time that the Battle of Badr would take place. So, uh, the day that the believers would be pleased with the victory, the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this indeed did uh, take place with the Muslims in the Hijrah and then the Battle of Badr. So it is the victory of Ahlul Tawheed, the victory of monotheism over polytheism. And then you go into uh, the story of Luqman al-Hakim. And Luqman al-Hakim, who was of course known to the Arabs uh, as a, a, you know, an Abyssinian slave that was freed due to his wisdom and became a legend amongst the Arabs, but he was a monotheist. And by the way, subhanAllah, there's a significance here if you connect the individual story of, of Luqman al-Hakim to what Allah mentions in Surah Al-Rum of how classes of people are determined in accordance with their ilm, in accordance with their taqwa, in accordance with their knowledge and their piety. Um, and that's from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The differences in your tongues, in your languages, in your skin colors. 
At the end of the day, you came from dirt, but you are differentiated only by your taqwa, and taqwa is pursued with knowledge. Piety is pursued uh, with uh, rightful knowledge, rightful guidance. So here you have the story of a man in Ruqman al-Hakim who gained superiority and power amongst the Arabs because of his wisdom. And this is a proof of what we find in Surah Al-Rum as well. <clears throat> and once again, a monotheist, right? So this person that you look to, that you claim affiliation to, is a monotheist. And uh, also makaram al-akhlaq, you know, uh, the, the, the good characters of, or the good characteristics of this religion, the qualities of the Prophet Sallallahu And this is something that is stressed in Mecca Quran, that look at the difference in the moral nature of what the Prophet Sallallahu is calling you to, compared to the immoral nature of the ways that you are insisting upon. <clears throat> so with Luqman al-Hakim and the advice to his son, you don't just see the quality of Tawheed, but you see the qualities of Ibad rahman the qualities of Al-Mu'minun, the qualities of the servants of the Most Merciful, the qualities of the believers that are being called to as well. So that significance is also there in relation to the call of the Prophet Now some specific verses in, you know, in, in the advice of, of Luqman al-Hakim to his son, Verse 14 to 15, you have once again الإنسان, the, uh, the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to honor your parents. And here, this verse, according to Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was revealed in regards to Sa'ad and his mother. Now, <clears throat> if you watch the episode on the first where we talked about Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu in detail, his mother told him that you either leave this religion the, and, and come back to the religion of your mother and your father, or um, I will not eat and drink <clears throat> until I die, and your heart will grieve over me, and you and your heart will break, and the, the grief that you will feel at me dying because I, you know, my my hunger strike of you being a Muslim will cause you to die as well. Because Sa'ad radiAllahu ta'ala anhu loved his mother, and he pleads with his mother, please do not do this, please don't do this, and continues. To, uh, to constantly uh, plead with her until he says, oh, my dear mother, as much as I love you, my love for Allah and his messenger is stronger. And even if you have a thousand souls and each one departs one after the other, I will not abandon this religion. And that's when she saw the determination of Sa'ad to insist on his way. And she realized that her hunger strike was not going to work. And she gave up her hunger strike. Now, subhanAllah, you connect this to the last juz. Uh, we mentioned two ajza ago. Uh, call your closest relatives and then you do not guide whom you love uh, which was the last juz and then here in this juz uh, was pain with his mother so we had the pain of the Prophet with his uncle Abu Talib and now the pain of with his mother and you also see the refusal to believe Right, so one implementation of you don't guide whom you love is the refusal to believe of the one that you love, and then you also have the refusal to disbelieve uh, when persecuted by the one that you love, which is the case of Sa'ad or put in a, a difficult situation. So, uh, both of them are implementations of you don't guide whom you will, and at the same time, you can't forsake uh, your own guidance because of whom you love. So, the refusal to believe. In the case of the last juz and the refusal to disbelieve on the part of Sa'ad on account of his mother whom he loved uh, in this juz. Uh, finally, I'll just mention two quick things. One of them is uh, verse 27, uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about 
that even if the trees were pens uh, and you know the, the the oceans were ink, it would not be enough to encapsulate this knowledge from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, this divine revelation. Uh, some of the the Jewish rabbis in Medina asked the Prophet what does it mean when he says that Rabbi, that the spirit is the command of your Lord. And you don't have of knowledge except for little. And the Prophet وسلم, when he when he migrated to Medina, they said, is this idea of you've only been given a little bit of knowledge, is that just for the Muslims or is it for the Jews as well? So is it who has been given just a little knowledge? And the Prophet وسلم, basically responds and says, all of us have not been given much knowledge except for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. And he says, the knowledge that you have in comparison to the knowledge of Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala is very little and it only benefits you when you practice it so um, then they, they say to the Prophet وسلم, uh, well what about the verse um, uh, that whoever has been given hikmah has been given whoever has been given wisdom uh, has been given uh, a lot of good abundant good which is in Surah Al-Baqarah verse 269 so how can uh, little knowledge be comp compared to a lot of wisdom how is that possible and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals this verse in response uh, that if the trees and the earth were pens and uh, the, the oceans were ink, it would not be enough to encapsulate the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Finally, just because it relates to the khutbah um, that was given as well in this regard about the Laylatul Qadr, how we often don't take Maghrib to Isha seriously. Uh, the verse in Surah Al-Sajdah uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that they forsake their beds, crying onto their Lord in fear and hope. Um, uh, the Sahaba said that in, in multiple narrations that this is referring to the companions that used to come to Maghrib, and then they would stay in the masjid between Maghrib and Isha, worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no matter how late Isha was, and uh, they would not return to their homes until the Prophet came and performed Isha with them. And so this is referring to them. And so, yes, the time between Maghrib and Isha is also a form of Qiyam. It's also a form of the night devotion. And we pray that Allah allow us to make the most of it. And inshallah ta'ala, with that, I'll turn it over to Dr. Uthman, um, the ankle breaker, uh, to share some uh, some of his wisdom, bidnillahi ta'ala, uh, as well. Any reflections he has on these verses? Dr. Omar. I will just comment briefly on the last thing you mentioned about Luqman and the idea of, of wisdom and this this tension people have between knowledge being a lot or a little and what it means to be wise. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called Luqman al-Hakim, uh, it wasn't necessarily because of an abundance of knowledge, but it was actually the ability to make uh, practical use of whatever information that we have. And this is what wisdom is all about. I mean, there are people who know so much, yet do nothing with that knowledge. And that is not a form of wisdom. Whereas Luqman, whatever little that he had been given, course he'd been given a, a fair amount of knowledge but whatever he had given he was able to transform it into beneficial actions uh, a few other things that was mentioned about Luqman from the Mufassirun I find is beautiful is that uh, true wisdom is not only in using knowledge to benefit yourself but it's using knowledge to benefit others and so Luqman was able to not just pull from that knowledge to become a better person with the right akhlaq the right character the right beliefs but he uh, reflected that upon the creation of course first and foremost with his family and his son so uh, that really is the is the pinnacle of wisdom, is to be able to practice it and to share that with the world in the most beautiful way. So those are some of my thoughts. Wallahu alam. Alhamdulillah, beautiful. Shaykh Abdullah, tafadda. Alhamdulillah. Bismillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala amma ba'd.
Now, when speaking about Subhanallah Luqman and the advice uh, that he gave to his son, and he told him, La tushrik billah, he told him not to worship any any others besides Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, uh, which is shirk, which is the polytheistic practice that we know in Islam is not allowed. Uh, I wanted to touch on that which um, Subhanallah is the probably the strongest sign that the human being in all of creation that is animate at least has this characteristic and dare we say um, this feature within them and that is what is termed as the fitrah and the fitrah can be loosely translated as the natural inclination uh, it can be termed as you know the wiring that Allah SWT has given all of us that is universal that we all share and within that fitrah are characteristics that are different from one another you know that we may differ within our personalities and the way that we exemplify uh, the features of that fitrah. So when we look at the fitrah, we look at this, subhanAllah, uh, we see that even in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes the presence of this madda or of this element that is within inside the human being. And that is, subhanAllah, something that we as Muslims believing in it and understanding it, we understand and acknowledge with certainty that every human being has this natural inclination to a deity, one deity, and they rely on that natural, that one deity that has created them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse, in the chapter of Arum, verse 30, and I guess this is an easy way that we mentioned earlier, uh, verse 30, verse 30, chapter 30, in 30 for 30. So that's an easy way that can we remember this aspect of the fitrah and what Allah says about the fitrah using the word, uh, in this chapter very eloquently subhanah where he says after a'udhu billah min ash-shaytan ar-rajim fa'aqim wajhaka lid-deen hanifan fitratullah lati fatara an-nasa alayha la tabdila li khalqillah thalika ad-deen al-qayyim walakin akthara an-nasi la ya'lamun so he breaks it into we want to break it into roughly five parts the first part is where he says fa'aqim wajhaka lid-deen hanifan so direct your face towards uh the religion inclining to the truth Iqama, as we know, as we hear Iqama to Salat, which means to establish something. And Qiyam is to stand. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, فَأَقِمْ wajhaka," Not particularly your face, but it's saying, establish the religion and direct yourself. Give yourself wholeheartedly to the religion, uh, to this way of life, to the faith of Islam. And the obligation is to remind you not to turn to other ways of life. And that's why subhanAllah uses waj. And because the scholars mentioned that sometimes when the wedge is mentioned, the face, that is where you look and direct your direction and your attention to. So make sure that your primary attention in regards to your life and what you're doing in regards to response to those that may not believe in your way of life and may be envious towards you. And make sure that you're doing this in a fashion that is befitting for your soul and for the ones that are following you. So when we see this first commandment, and this is an imperative verb, and we understand that the imperative verbs in, in, in the authoritative text in Islam, in the Quran, and the Sunnah, initially, initially imply obligation, unless there is something that brings it down to another level of recommendation. So here, in regards to following the faith, it's important, it's imperative that you devote yourself to your faith. 
and show that level of devotion because that level of devotion will bring reward. But in most, most importantly, this is that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. Therefore, he obliged it. So after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And this is what we could say is the shahid or the highlighted portion of the verse, thus understanding uh, the importance of this characteristic of the fitrah. He says, Fitratullah. He says, this is the fitrah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning that it is the fitrah is something that is noble, and they call this tashrif in Arabic. Why? Because he used it in the possessive form, as we say, Rasulullah, the servant of Allah, or the messenger of Allah, Kitabullah, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The messenger is noble, the book of Allah is noble, being the Quran. So when Allah says fitrah to Allah, it is something that is a noble form of creation, being that He has given us this. Dare you say, dare we say, remote element within ourselves to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In times of hardship, even those that may not even believe in a God or may have defied uh, the belief in a God, they call out to something greater than themselves. And that is that the calling and the characteristics of that feature or, or characteristic within themselves, that is what we mean the fitrah. That when they call out something to something greater than themselves, whether they deny it or don't know what it is, that is the fitrah in which enable them to call on something greater than them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fitrah And he says, This fitrah which he has created mankind upon, nas. And he uses the same three letters to describe the fitrah. Fatra can mean yani shaqqa or to open something up, right? So in here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Fitratullah, that he has created mankind upon this uh, natural fitrah. And after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on and he says here, لا تبديل لخلق الله That there is, no, uh, there is no replacement for the creation of Allah. And this verse is alim jiddan. Why? Because it establishes the lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we talked about before, when they talk about you know, the relationship of Allah or the, the monotheistic belief, if we wanted to break it down, it could be into two or three categories that the scholars have with their induction and with their academic rigor have come, come to. But it's most important is that we see that Allah is the Lord. He is the creator, sustainer, and maintainer. He is what brought things into existence. And after he brings it into existence, he maintains it and provides for it ultimately. We see that that demands something from the individuals that have the opportunity and the faculty of choice, which is human beings. When we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, La this form of negation is a form of negation, as we know, negating anything of the object. So, La ilaha illallah, you're negating any type of God, of any object, as taking it as a God. So, he says, There's no replacement for the creation of Allah, acknowledging creation, that He has brought things into existence, and we use all the elements to manipulate and use it for ways that we want to, but the raw material is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. Then he concludes by saying, that this is the most upright religion. This is the upright way and the upright deen, the upright path. But most of mankind do not know. And ending it off with saying, most of mankind do not know. It is not for us to say, well, more people, you know, the people don't know and we know. When reading the last part of the, part of this verse and understanding that it is not for one to be arrogant, thinking that they know, it is for someone to have sympathy, wanting people to know. It's important that when you understand that the Sharia, the religion of Islam, has been given to you in order to keep your fitrah pristine, 
those feelings of guilt, those feelings of calling out, to keep it pristine to where it is not adulterated, to call on other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is not tampered with. It has not been uh, any form of intrusion upon it to where it's affected. This is important for you to relay that to people and to relay it with the universal characteristic of the fitrah. When it comes to telling people about Islam, let's start with the universal characteristics that we have. Let's start at a universal word. The universal properties that we share as human beings, let's start there. That Allah is the Khalik, He is the creator. So if he's created you, why do we turn to other than him? And that's when we hear the last portion of this verse. Most people know not. It should serve as an encouragement for us to exemplify the Lord of the fitrah within our actions, within our speech. And inshallah, that will be a long-lasting effect on people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that cling to our nature to where we nurture that in a way that is befitting to him. Barakallahu feekum. MashaAllah. Shaykh Abdullah, you just covered 30, 30 on 30 for 30. 30, 30. 30 minutes? No, 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 no. Isn't that Surah 30, verse 30 on 30 yes, for 30? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Easy sweater, remember what Shaykh Abdullah just said. He just covered 30, 30 on 30 for 30, alhamdulillah. Nice, mashallah. That was yours. I, I'm not. I'm not even going to claim that one. That was all you, man. You said that before we started. So I didn't come up with that one myself. Beautiful reflections. Tafadilah, Beautiful, beautiful reflection. Uh, and I think we're all start picks up exactly where you were at, which is uh, the reality that Subhanallah, despite the fact that we all have this fitrah, this natural disposition, and we're inclined towards Tawheed and believing in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And those natural emotions he's given us about knowing what's right and what's and knowing what's wrong. Uh, there's a lot of pressure in life to do otherwise. And as Allah says, like most people don't know the truth. And so Surah Al-Ahzab comes uh, after, you know, Surah Al-Rum a few surahs later. And I wanted to speak about the beginning of it because Surah Al-Ahzab to me is one of the most important and beautiful surahs that's relevant for Muslims who are currently living in a time where we see massive culture wars everywhere, especially if you live in a Western country. And there's so much confusion over these core issues about who are we, what is our natural disposition, there's gender issues, there's relationship issues. And so the surah, what's beautiful about it is that it comes down at a time when the Muslims were actually trying to figure out what is their culture supposed to be like. It came after the Battle of Badr, so the Muslims were kind of begin to establish a state and a society with certain norms, but Islam had not yet fully taken uh, in a hold of the region. And so what the surah comes to do is really focus on these dimensions of the social fabric of life. How do how does community and how does family? How do what are those um, factors that we need to think about when it comes to the holistic fitrah-based way of living? And uh, that's why you'll see in the surah there's a lot of attention to marriage. There's a lot of attention to gender interaction uh, and those type of family-related issues. But I just want to begin my talk today about the beauty of Surah Al-Hazab and laying out uh, this beautiful blueprint for success. Um, that a believer can always go back to when it comes to dealing with the challenges they face when they live in a culture that the dominant culture doesn't always uh, reflect who they are and what they believe in. And to remind all of us that even the Prophet وسلم, and the companion uh, companions, they did not live in this utopian world where everything was just perfect for them all the time. But Allah is going to remind us about their own challenges they faced and then the formula for their success. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the first few ayat, uh, A'udhu Billahi Min Ya wa la tuti'il kafirina wal munafiqeen. 
إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا وَاتَّبِعْ مَا يُوحَى إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرًا وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَكِيلًا And so uh, the translation being, uh, O Prophet, do not be mindful of Allah. O Prophet, be mindful of Allah. Have taqwa of Allah and do not obey the disbelievers and the hypocrites. For indeed, Allah is absolutely knowledgeable and absolutely wise. The second verse comes where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So follow the revelation that has been given to you from your Lord, for indeed Allah is all-knowing of that which you do, and put your trust in Allah, for Allah is sufficient for uh, us to put our trust in Him. So what Surah Al-Hazab does, and the rest of the surah is going to elaborate on this, uh, is this three-step formula of number one is having taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which entails not following the ways of others, not being a blind uh, copycat, and imitating the lifestyle, the opinions, the beliefs, the practices of those who do not have revelation. And then number two, of course, if we're not going to follow uh, the ways of others, what are we going to follow? It's the path of revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third step is going to be to put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, what I find so uh, fascinating about these ayat is to put myself in the in the shoes of the companions and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and thinking that Allah is starting this surah by not telling the believers uh, to be, have taqwa and to be uh, and to reject the lifestyle of the disbelievers. He's telling the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And as we'll learn in Surah Hazab, it'll come in tomorrow's just actually the details of what the Prophet is commanded to do. Is that some of these commands are are, are difficult? Sometimes to go against the dominant culture, sometimes to do that which is not popular or not part of the status quo is difficult, even to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And so the message of Surah Al-Hazab is to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about, don't fear believing in something different than other people. Don't fear acting different than other people. Don't fear looking different than other people. And the only way this can happen is if we deeply have that trust that that which is coming to us is coming to us from a source that is ultimately wise, that knows exactly, he knows our fitrah. As you said, Sheikh Abdullah, Allah knows our natural disposition. And the one who knows the deepest secrets of our soul and our heart, then of course, he is the most trustworthy to follow his advice and to follow the laws that he has prescribed for us. And so the Prophet Muhammad, when he felt this pressure, that Allah is telling him, be mindful of Allah and do not swerve and do not be inclined to the lifestyle of those who think differently. Follow the revelation knowing that this is what's best for you and put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as the, the battle of Ahzab, you know, the details about it, we'll find out it's really about trusting in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I'll close with one, uh, one thing that to me is, is beautiful in the surah is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us this fact that there's a major battle that takes place. All right? And in this battle, right, the, the, the believers are going through a lot. But what Allah is telling us in surah Ahzab is there's two ways of seeing the world. There's a way of seeing the world which is trusting Allah and His Messenger and trusting the revelation. And there's a way that you don't trust Allah and His, and his Messenger. And the way you see the world is fundamentally different if you're in Camp A or Camp B. And Allah gives us that actually in the surah when He tells us that when the hypocrites saw what was happening in that battle, their statement was to say what? مَا illa They Because they did not have trust in Allah, they said that Allah and His Messenger are, have told us a lie. They have deceived us because it looks like you know we're, the battle is going to come and these enemies are going to attack us. But for the believer who trusts in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala,
who goes against the grain, who follows the revelation, who puts their trust in Allah, despite how difficult things might be at any point in time in their life. What, what Allah tells us is, When the believers see difficulties, when the, when the believers see the challenges of being a faithful Muslim, of living a lifestyle upon the fitrah, and not obeying everybody else, what do they say? They said, this is exactly what Allah and His Messenger has promised of, have, have promised of. And that once the believer has that trust, everything they see in their in, in everything in life, the troubles, the blessings, the tribulations, is what? It's a source of increasing them in their faith and increasing their submission because they remember that this is what Allah has told us is going to happen. Allah has not promised us a life of, of, of luxury. He's told us this is a life of difficulties. And through that trust in Allah, through following the revelation, and through uh, shunning the lifestyle and the un-Islamic practices of those who don't have the revelation, inshallah, we will be in safe footing in this life and the next. And inshallah, then if we have wisdom, we'll be able to share that guidance with those who did not have access to that revelation. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us amongst those who are able to follow this three-step process of having taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, following the revelation and putting our trust in Him at all times and all places. Jazakallah khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Jazakallah khair. SubhanAllah, one connection, uh, actually a few connections that, that I was just thinking about in those beautiful reflections, uh, Dr. Uthman. One of them is uh, in Surah Al-Ahzab, uh, they're saying the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is nothing but delusion. Surah Al-Rum, وَعَدَ اللَّهِ لَا يُخْلِفُ اللَّهُ وَعَدَ وَلَكِنْ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ يَعْلَمُونَ ظَاهِرًا مِنَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا SubhanAllah, even the messaging is so powerful. Allah says in Surah Al-Rum, it's the promise of Allah, He never betrays His promise. But most people don't know, they only know the exterior of the life of this world. Like they're, they're so limited and only being able to see the Zahir, just just see just just things so plainly and they do numbers and calculations and things of that sort but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise overcomes all of that and his decree overcomes all of that so jazakallah khair I know you had one incident from the khandaq I, I know you probably cut it out because of time but you can sh I think it's powerful inshallah if you'd like to share um, I think it builds on that inshallah ta'ala you know that idea because surah rum the promise and then what happens in khandaq as well yeah, sure. So the, the, what I was going to mention uh, was, subhanAllah, how it's these scales of, and measuring of this dunya and from a very worldly, secular perspective, how this is just not how the believer sees the world, right? The promises of, of Allah and His Messenger transcend kind of the, the laws of, of nature in many ways. And so in the Battle of Khandaq, I mean, just uh, one of the beautiful incidents is when the Prophet Muhammad was there digging that trench and the believers are, are kind of looking at him. And you know, it's, there's, there's, it's a serious issue, right? There's a battle with thousands of people attacking them. And he strikes this humongous rock and he sees the sparks go flying. And he says, Bismillah, and he strikes the rock. It, begin, it, it, it breaks a piece of it. And he says, Allahu Akbar, in those sparks, he says, Allahu Akbar, I have been given the keys right, to Sham. Right? And I can see the red palaces there now. And then he strikes it a second time and the sparks fly. He says, Allahu Akbar, right? I've been given the keys to Persia. Right? I can see the palaces there. And then he strikes it a third time and the rock shatters. And he says, Allahu Akbar, I've been given the keys to Yemen. I can see the gates of Sana'a here. And so you see the Prophet Muhammad, he looks at the world with his different lens. Right? He sees through it. And it's not Zahir. It's not the apparent that's what in front of you right now. He says, be optimistic. Everything seems dark right now. Everything seems difficult. I mean, all of us are going through a tough time today with everything that's happened with COVID. There is light at the end of this. 
And, and that is the promise of Allah and his messenger. And just on that exact same point that you mentioned about the promise of Allah, while he's digging, Jabir ibn Abdullah, right, he sees the Prophet of rock tied to his stomach. And again, the Prophet is trying to teach us, don't look at the apparent of this world. And, he, and Jabir, he sees the Prophet and, he's, and he sees, man, it looks bad. He's wearing rock on his stomach. He's starving. He runs. He tells the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, can I go home? And, and, and just for a minute, I got an errand to run. And the Prophet says, sure. And he goes home. He tells his wife, I saw the Prophet with a rock on his stomach. This doesn't make me feel good. Please cook him something. Do you have anything? And she says that I got a little bit of barley and a little bit of meat. She's like, fine, cook it. I'm going to call him over. And he runs Jabir, an. he says, Ya Rasulullah, come. Uh, my wife has some food for you. Bring a few companions. It's a little bit of food. And again, the Zahid of this dunya would say that a few of us are going to eat from this, right? And he says, sure, but tell her not to take the food off the fire and take the lid off the pot. Um, we're coming. And he tells, hey, everybody, let's all go over to Jabir's heart. We're going to have a big feast. And Jabir is just like, oh, my God, what is happening? And he goes home and his wife says, what's going on? Did you, didn't I tell you there's only a little bit of food? And he's like, I did. And the Rasul, he brought everybody. And the Prophet said, all right, leave that pot on. And he fed and he fed and he fed until Whoa. they said for a thousand companions he ate from that. There's, this is barakah. This is the ma'yab. This is the scale of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That if we have belief and iman and taqwa, follow his revelation, we will see that barakah in our life. So I ask Allah to make some of those who see beyond the zahir. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair. This subhanAllah is so powerful. Um, I, there's so much about, you know, the the restrict the restriction that we have in our sight and uh, Allah did bless one person to see the light right it was Salman al-Dilahu right and even the Prophet Sallallahu was shocked when he struck the stone and Salman al-Dilahu says what is that light and Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says did you, are you really seeing the light and he said yes and uh, it's really interesting because the empires right in Surah Rum it's two empires that are basically fighting each other and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sees the palaces of both from the ditch. Another reflection, and I'm not saying this is a tafsir, but it's just it's something that I just thought about. Fi um, al-ard, Allah mentions in Surah Rum, in the lowest point on earth, right, the Dead Sea. Of course, some of the scholars reflect on that, and they say like it's the lowest point for the Romans, and it was the lowest point on earth, the area of the Dead Sea. Like the Prophet Sallallahu is digging in the ground and seeing the palaces that are built up from the ground, shining in front of him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and that's the that's the point, Allah Azzawajal. Uh, Allah supports whom he wills. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us victory, give victory to the mustala'afeen, to the madhlumeen, uh, the oppressed and all over the world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them victory, uh, support our ummah wherever they are, uh, in Al-Aqsa in particular. And, um, you know, and of course, we know a lot of people are hurting in in, um, in India right now due to COVID-19. May Allah make it easy for our brothers and sisters all over the world. Allahumma ameen. Jazakallah khair, Uthman, uh, Dr. Uthman. Well, one last thing. Um, can you please share your address with the audience so we can bring 60,000 people to your house, inshallah. Let's see if we can get some barakah. If you and Sheikh Abdullah come, the barakah will be there, inshallah. So let's go. <laughs> Take that as a no. But he does live in SoCal. So Sheikh, if Dr. Uthman ever invites you over to his house, then bring 1,000 people with you. You know, mashallah, the barakah will be there, right? Inshallah. <laughs> was that was that was that an optimistic inshallah? Or was no, that absolutely, like, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Inshallah, for sure. Let's do this. Inshallah. <laughs> really enjoy enjoy having you on as always. Inshallah. Sheikh Abdullah as always. Zakmullah khair. Inshallah ta'ala. Reminder everyone, please join the webathon, inshallah ta'ala. And get everyone else to join as well, inshallah. Share it with your family, with your friends. Uh, inshallah, it'll be very beneficial. 
and it'll be a culmination of, of a lot of what we felt as a community together over the last few weeks. Yeah. And also an opportunity to support uh, good work, inshallah. We appreciate your support and uh, we look forward to seeing you there, inshallah. Ta'ala. So, Jazakumallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum, Jazakumallah for having me. Salams, guys. I'm Mohammed Zaud, and I'm here to tell you about a new podcast from Yaqeen Institute called Double Take, where we cover issues and topics in Islam that give us pause. Topics such as, will my children be Muslim? Or was Islam spread by the sword? You can find us on YouTube or your favorite podcast app by searching Double Take by Yaqeen Institute.